the reason this is important for us and for us like as adoptive families and foster families is this is so prevalent in our homes and we don't talk about it and we don't know about it. One in 20 children have some form of an FASD. That's a lot of kids. It's two and a half times more than autism. And we don't talk about it. Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Do you find yourself up late at night wondering why nothing you try as a parent is working? Are you searching for adoption resources and a support team but can't find any? Hi neighbor, welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, Bible class teacher, and ambassador of encouragement. I too felt the joy of having a family of my own. I wish we could be like other adoptive families. I knew we were doing our best, but nothing seemed to work. I kept asking myself, why is this happening to us? Life can be tough. Storms in life are inevitable. In Anchors of Encouragement, my mission is to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and be your anchor, to offer biblical mindset support and provide stability when life gets unstable. If you're ready for real and raw talk that leads to peace beyond comprehension, so you not only survive but thrive in life's storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi, neighbor. Joining me today is my neighbor from Dallas, Texas, Laura Hernandez. Laura is a wife and mama to 10 amazing people. She is the founder of Mama Systems, a coaching business that helps mamas bring peace to their homes through systems so they can be intentional with their people and show up as the best mama possible. Laura is going to talk to us today about a topic she knows and lives every day, FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Now notice I said plural. She's going to explain more about that in a little bit. Laura, thank you for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I am too. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. It's a serious topic, but you've been able to navigate it and manage it so that your family can function like it's intended to function, even with the challenges you're talking about. So we'll get into that in a moment. But before we do, I wanted to ask you some kind of a fun fact about Texas. I was telling you before we started the conversation, I've been to Texas once. I've been to Dallas one time. So for those of us who are kind of newbies to the area, even though I know a lot about Texas, tell us something about where you live that might interest everybody. Yeah, well, our family lives kind of out in the country, surrounded by a bunch of little cities and suburbs. And so it's kind of the perfect mix of those two things. Mm -hmm. And a fun thing about it is that we live right down the road from South Fork Ranch, which is where the show Dallas was filmed. And so often people are getting out of their cars and taking selfies. And it's just kind of funny to live next to a place where people like come to visit that place, you know? That's pretty cool. That's like the uh, baseball field in Iowa for Field of Dreams. This is where the TV show Dallas was filmed. How big is South Fork? Is it really big? It's a big house and it's a, Uh I mean, I don't know how many acres it is, maybe a hundred acres. Okay. I could be totally butchering that. I'm not ever really sure how many acres we live on. So don't really, don't put too much stock in that. No, no problem. I just was, I, I heard that, I've seen the picture and I don't know how much was actually filmed there, but uh, I've seen the picture from the show and all that. So pretty cool that you have people will come there, you know, to get selfies at probably in front of the the gates and stuff. So interesting uh, fact about where you live. Um, 
As we begin our conversation, there can be a lot of travel involved with adoption. I know personally, we were traveling to do our home studies. We were traveling to actually pick up both of our children. Now, our our two boys were born in the state of Indiana, um, one closer than the other, but there was a lot of travel. I know your backstory. I've listened to your podcast and I know what was involved to adopt the children you've adopted, but there was a lot more than travel. So to begin our conversation, uh, can you share a little bit with our audience about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and then how your family came to adopt children with FASD? Yeah. So the travel piece is interesting because we actually, we were living in the Dallas area. We had three biological kids and that's when we decided to foster And we had Andrew in our home as a baby. And he came to straight from the hospital and was with us for the first eight months of his life. And then he went back to his bio mom. After that, we ended up moving to Seattle. She ended up moving to Louisiana. Worlds apart then, right? Mm -hmm. Away from Dallas. But while we were up there, we kind of kept tabs on mom and we had built a relationship with her. She had two more kids and we had two more kids. So we were up to five biological and she had three with her at the time. Mm -hmm. And so... um you know, things happened and they were put back in the system. And so when they were put back in the system and rights were about to be terminated, we said, oh my goodness, we'll take them. And so we tried to adopt them while we were in Seattle and Washington state would have nothing to do with that um, because we would be taking on Texas liability or the state of Washington. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we went through so many hoops and so many things to try to make that happen. And just, it just wasn't happening. And so we ended up moving back to Dallas to be able to adopt them. And um, so that was kind of our big, that was our big traveling. <laughs> it's, wow. it's and so we went from like four kids to eight kids within a six month period. And there were a lot, a lot of little people. So we had five little people, four and under all in diapers. And um, it was just kind of just get through today, just get through today. <laughs> That's kind of my, my mantra for a long time. And we didn't know at the time that they had disabilities. Mm-hmm. We were told a lot in foster care training that, you know, they're going to be delayed going to have behavior problems because of trauma and you know but once you connect with them and once you um really give them a, a safe home and they have that felt safety they're going to really catch up and you know all these things so in about two years you're going to see this great improvement is kind of the story everyone denies ever actually saying that but mm-hmm. like, that's what you say <laughs> that's, that's the story everyone walks away with is that they'll catch up right ours were not catching up um they continued to be delayed and our biological children kind of pass them up developmentally and um, intellectually. And it it was a long road to actually get a diagnosis. So I'll spare you all of that, but we ended up getting diagnoses for them. And whenever I realized what was going on, that it was the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, like light bulbs went off. It was like, oh my goodness, this is what it is because we had gone to so many doctors and seen so many people, so many specialists, so many counselors, all the things that you could possibly go through um, just to help with the behaviors, to help understand what was going on with them, to help understand the delays and the um, the intellectual delays. And so I, it was just, we were just searching. And so whenever we figured that out, it was like, oh my goodness, this is what it is. And it all made sense. So that's kind of how we came, came to that. However, we did not know that we were actually doing that at the time. Wow. That's going above and beyond. I applaud you for wanting to bring Andrew back. And then now that he has siblings, you wanted to keep the that unit together and bring them into your unit and 
and blend this into your family. Now, one of the things that kind of struck me is when we were preparing for this interview, when you said fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, I I kept saying fetal alcohol syndrome. That's what I was saying, because that's what not knowing exactly what it is. I mean, to me, it was a mother has consumed alcohol during pregnancy. I don't know how much. I don't know what it takes to to get this, but I always thought it was fetal alcohol syndrome. But you said it's fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So there's more than one disorder that can come from this. And I take it that you weren't told, you said you weren't told or weren't aware that this was even happening. So the, the birth mother didn't tell you she had been drinking during the pregnancy. And, you know, we aren't here to pile on her or anything like that at all. I always side on the birth mothers with the birth mothers because of that. But help me understand, help our audience understand maybe some what fetal alcohol spectrum disorders are, some unknown facts about those. Yeah. And, I kind of agree with that, like no shame on her. I, mm-hmm. I think that we don't talk about this enough. Um, people don't know the risks. They don't know what, what the drinking can do to a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, and especially, I mean, she's also a product of the system, right? And so she has a lot of baggage, a lot of things. I'm just grateful for her. She's a precious woman that wants to be a good mom and um, who hasn't made some poor choices in their life. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And I think that often a reason why this is not talked about is because of the shame factor. And so even, even moms who drink, like who have some wine occasionally, right. May not know that they're pregnant for a good while. Right. And so this damage may happen before they even know they're pregnant. And so they're unknowingly hurting their baby. It's not that they're trying to be vicious or evil or anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that we need to kind of start letting up on that shame just so that we can have these conversations because I think doctors, not, I think <laughs> I've heard in research where people have been pulled, doctors have been pulled about diagnosing this or bringing it up with a parent. They will not bring it up because of the shame factor. They don't want to put that on a parent. And so they just don't bring it up. Therefore kids are not getting diagnosed. They're not getting the help. They're not getting the support that they need. The reason this is important for us and for us, like as adoptive families and foster families is this is so prevalent in our homes and we don't talk about it and we don't know about it. One in 20 children have some form of an FASD. That's a lot of kids. It's two and a half times more than autism and we don't talk about it. And so we need to start having these conversations. If your kid does not have an FASD, they're in a classroom with somebody who does, or your family knows somebody who does. It, It is just so prevalent. So when I say an FASD, it's kind of an umbrella term for four different disorders. I know that you mentioned fetal alcohol syndrome, mm-hmm. and that is definitely part of the spectrum, but it's only a part. It's only 8% of the whole spectrum. That means there's a whole 92% that most people don't get diagnosed with because they don't have the facial features. So fetal alcohol syndrome will often have the facial features, mm-hmm. they'll have the smooth upper lip, kind of downturned eyes. You can look up a picture online and see exactly what that looks like. But that little syndrome is 8% of the whole disorder. When foster families take their kids in or adoptive families take their kids into the doctor and they say, Hey, I think my kid may have this. And the doctor looks at the kid and says, no, they don't have the facial features. They don't know enough. And you need to go find a different doctor Mm -hmm. because it's possible to have an FASD and not have any facial features. 
The other part of this huge umbrella diagnosis is the alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder, which is ARND. This is like memory, attention, or impulse control, um, intellectual disabilities. So our kids fall in this category. They have really low IQs. They have trouble with memory. They have trouble making really good choices when nobody's watching, like all of those things kind Mm -hmm. of fall in. Then there's also alcohol-related birth defects. And those can be disorders of the heart or the kidneys or the bones, like an actual physical defect. And then finally, there's the neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal alcohol exposure. This is a lot of the behaviors that we see. And I think often it's chalked up to trauma. I believe that those two marry a lot, right? And so there's no inner, like untwining those because I think they're all tangled up together. Um, However, if there was drinking involved, and we are having these behavior problems and that this is where this comes in. Right. So thinking and memory um, behavior problems, such as severe tantrums or mood swings, stealing, lying, all of those things. And then trouble with day-to-day living like executive planning of an example of our kids. He was packing for camp this morning and he had packed a whole bunch of lovies and stuffies for nap time that they weren't having today, but they were having swim time. He didn't have a swimsuit. He didn't have his, his um, towel or in his lunch. He just had like one little lunchable, which he's there all day. And so I'm like, well, buddy, you need more to eat than that. So just a lot of that executive function of, Hey, I really need to be with you planning all these things because otherwise you're going to starve and have no swimsuit, right? Like Mm -hmm. just a lot of handholding in that. And so again, it's just this huge spectrum disorder. And I think that people, if you're having behavioral problems with your kids, if, if these things are happening at home, um, where you're like, something's just not right. The diagnosis we're getting aren't fitting. Look into this because 70% of kids in foster care have some form of an FASD. Wow. I, I had no idea it was that prevalent. So w- if you suspect it and it's not the, the uh, the syndrome version of this where you can see it in the facial features how does a a doctor or what diagnosis or how do you go about diagnosing this yeah that's a really fun question because i wish there was an easy answer um i found that in our case i had to do all the research i had to educate myself so mm-hmm. i think that's the first step as parents just kind of looking into this and gathering all their information i had a whole bunch of um evaluations and documents and tests and I mean, everything it's called a, a battery. So it helps build your battery, which is like your whole case file for your kid. Okay. Then you can bring that to the doctor and tell them. Um, I also think that if the doctor's not familiar with it, we need to move on to a different doctor. The majority of my interactions with doctors, I'm educating them on FASDs. They don't know. Wow. They don't know. And it's so frustrating and it's so hard because you go and you tell them all these things and you pour out your heart and all your fears and all the things that are going on with your kid. And then they kind of laugh at you or dismiss you or it's just not okay. So I I wish that you could just go to a doctor and have a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That's not my story. We had to travel to California to get a diagnosis for our kids. There was, there's a few clinics out there. There are no clinics in Texas. We're working to change that right now, which I'm hopeful that Soon we'll have one, but mm-hmm. we don't have one yet. Um, so there, there's a spattering of clinics around the states, but not that many. Well, when you you get a doctor that's receptive to a potential diagnosis of this type, 
how do they confirm it? Is there blood work or is there CAT scans or MRIs? What, how do they do it? Yeah, you, I mean, so if you don't have proof of the mother drinking, then there's no, there's no diagnosis. Okay. Um, the facial features will get you that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But then you need some sort of evidence or I mean, evidence. It doesn't have to be like a blood sample from the mother, but right. you need some sort of proof that mom was drinking during that time. So asking relatives, asking just people, I, I ended up looking through our, you know, the huge stack you get of documents from CPS. I was looking through there and some of the case reports I saw, I was like, okay, yeah, this lines up. So um, it was a lot of investigation work on that end just to get that piece of it. Mm-hmm. But the reason I feel so strongly about people getting diagnoses is there's so many things, but one is the education for yourself. It's allowed me to have compassion for my kids that I am not able to muster up on my own, but having that piece of understanding what's really going on with them and understanding what's going on with their brain allows me to have some of that compassion. An example of this would be, it's often called like Swiss cheese brain. Like think of all the little holes in there, mm-hmm. you know, Swiss cheese, right? Okay. So it's kind of like their brains. And so there may be one day that he knows the answer to something and I'll ask him and he'll tell me the right answer right away. And then the next day he's like, I don't know. I don't know. And you're, you're just like, wait, we talked about this yesterday. Like you knew the answer, what? And then the following day he like knows it again. Right. It's just very like hit and miss kind of information. And then from that, we often build those stories together. So he may have a dream or something. And then all of a sudden that kind of becomes reality. So he's talking about it. Like it happened yesterday. And you're like, no, that was a dream you had. Like you, that didn't happen. My daughter, Hannah came home. It was telling us about how she saw rattlesnakes at camp and then went to the desert and saw rattlesnakes. And she's dead serious. Like she can, she'll sell people on these ideas where parents are coming up and like, did this really happen? I'm like, no, it did not happen. We did not do that. And it's, that's called confabulation. And that can be really confusing and frustrating for parents. But Mm -hmm. once I have that piece of information and I'm educated on that, I can approach that completely different. Right. Right. Well, it, I, we didn't have to uh, navigate those kind of challenges with the alcohol, but we had to navigate adoption challenges where there was trauma within the womb, just chemical imbalance from a complicated pregnancy. I'll just put it that way. That's, That's how I'll say it. But when we came to understand it, then you do get more compassion for the child because you go, Oh, you didn't start with a a blank slate. Yeah. That was a misnomer that we had misconception. We had, I know that I've had to tell people to, you know, back off my kids because there are things they're going through that other kids don't have to go through. And I appreciate what you're saying because we've gone down that road too. And it does help you to be more patient with them and show more compassion when you, you have knowledge. And so uh, that's, I agree. It's, it's something I I fully understand. And it's just, you, you deal with it with the FASD. So as we pivot a little bit here, you had, how many was it in diapers at the same time? That just blows my mind. (laughs) You had five in diapers. Okay. And you didn't, you didn't know exactly at the time, what you were dealing with, how have you been able to navigate the challenges? I know you've, you've become educated, but you're still raising 10 children, 10 children's a a challenge in and of itself, but especially children that have AFSD. 
how have you been able to navigate these challenges? What have you put in place in your family? Yeah, a lot of systems. Okay. My business comes in. I it was during those first few years that it was like, oh my goodness, what have we done? I don't mm-hmm. think I was actually thinking those things, but I look back and I'm thinking that now, like, well, like, what was wrong with us? Like everybody thought <laughs> we were crazy. Maybe we actually were. We didn't know that. <laughs> Just living in that survival mode was very much like we need something in place. And I would look around for things to fit our family and nothing fit our family. Um, like I would look at large, large family things. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really qualify for us because we don't have people who can do chores and things like we have all these little people and mm-hmm. nothing came into account for like caseworkers being in and out of our home or therapists in and out of our home, or some of our kids going to public school, some going to homeschool. So all of that being said, I felt like we were just super unique, which a little secret that every family is super unique. That's mm-hmm. what I've learned along the way. Um, so no system will actually fit two families the same, right? So I had to just start and slowly build systems in our home. And that process that I walked through is then kind of what I created my business out of is I'm going to get to know you as a family and we're going to figure out what works for you guys. And we're going to figure out what drains you, what, um, what gives you life. Let's get rid of the things that drain you. Let's prioritize the things that give you life and really build a life that parents can feel like they're being intentional with their people. Mm -hmm. I know that often as mamas, we live such reactionary lives that we don't, um, we don't show up in the ways that we would like to show up with our kids. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I have grandest dreams of like sitting down and reading all day with my children. And, and then it's (laughs) like five years later, I'm like, I haven't read a book to them in years. Like what happened? Right. So it just goes by so quickly. And so I think that that intention, putting that intention in our homes is so important. So now I get to help other moms kind of do that too. One of the things that I think social media has done a disservice to our society is to put out this false facade that there are perfect families. As we looked out and we were seeing all these families that, you know, kids were all well-behaved, you know, didn't have a problem at all. I don't think that's necessarily the case. And with our family, uh, especially with the oldest, and he's given me permission to talk about this. It was evident something was going on and we had to figure out how to navigate that. So how would you describe, I've kind of gotten an inkling of that, but how would you describe your state of mind, you and your husband's state of mind as you first started to realize all these challenges? I think just the desire to want what's best for our kids, Mm -hmm. which I think is so basic. And so like, of course, everybody wants that, right? But realizing the very much individuality of every single one of them like no two are this no two are the same mm-hmm. um, and so really just having to create that space to figure out what each kiddo needs and when they need it and how we can support them and how we can help them and I definitely one of the things I feel very strongly about is not coming across as like we have it all together because one of the reasons I like talk so strongly about systems and everything is mm-hmm. I love having those in place because when we have meltdowns when we have a kid throw a brick through a window you know, not that it's <laughs> happened before, but just grabbing that one out of the air. Uh-huh. Um, things like that happen. I can sit and be with that kid and figure out what's going on. We can clean up the glass. We can talk about those things, right? And I'm not worried about all the laundry and all the cooking and all the things that need to happen around the home because those are all systematized, right? So once we get all of those down, it's easier to be present with our kids. It's easier to be able to sit in the meltdowns. It's be easier to have compassion on them because I'm not so worn out. And so we have our fair share of, of crazy here, but I think that the systems allow us to be present with that and enjoy some of the crazy and then 
calm down some of the crazy, you know? Yeah. We can think back to 911 and it wasn't the first reactors that went into the towers. It was the first responders. So they had systems in place. And even though it was a chaotic situation and life-threatening situation, they knew what to do when it was time to do it. And so that's what I'm hearing from you when, when things get crazy and you need to to sit with that child, you know that other things are going to be fine, but you can prioritize because you have put these in place. So I know you have so many systems that you talk about. You have a website and all that. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But what I'd like to do in each of these episodes is to, to give my audience what I call a daily doable. I believe regardless of whether you have children with a FASD systems can, can be helpful, but especially if there are families listening to this episode that are facing this challenge and they're, they're starting to get these diagnoses and everything. And they're, they're realizing, okay, we have this to deal with. What would be, in your systems that you you teach, what would be a first system step, if that makes sense? What would be a first system step parents could begin to implement today? Yeah, this may seem really simple, and I hope that it does. Um, but setting expectations, I think, is huge for everyone. And so if we can just kind of think about, if each person can think about what is one area that always feels overwhelming. Is it when we're getting ready to get out the door for school in the morning, or is it going to bed? How can we set up things to set those expectations in a clear way for them? Uh, That may be making a visual chart. Even if they're older, that visual chart will help just kind of reinforce all of that. Using timers, um, using alarms, like setting up that routine in your home. So I realize that that's like a million things and you're not supposed to do all of that today. But I think just starting that process of thinking through those things and thinking Mm -hmm. like, can I start to set these expectations better? Um, I, I know that I find this a lot in our home where I'm like, I'm so frustrated that they destroyed this room or I asked them to clean it up. And I I just get frustrated about things that I, I clearly did not communicate well about that. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's on me because there are times when, yes, they could probably have done better and they know better and whatever. But for the most part, it's, Hey, I, I expected that you would actually clean this room like vacuum it and all the things, not just pick up the pillows and put them on the couch. But I expected more of this and now I'm disappointed. And now I'm lashing out at you and my anger. And I don't know, it just kind of affects our whole whole day, our whole family, everything, simply because I didn't set those expectations. So I think being really clear about those expectations is is a really big thing and continually doing that. Okay. That's a good point. I mean, when you you started to set those expectations. Was this a conversation you had with your husband away from the kids just to figure out, okay, how do we want things to run here? Yeah. So that depends on what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, with screens and stuff, that'll be a, a group question. But when it comes okay. to like, chores and things like that, I'll often just, like that's kind of my expertise. And so I love, I love planning all that out, like all the, all the intertwinings of our day and all the scheduling and stuff like that. But I think that that's a big piece of it is planning, right? So sitting down and figuring out what those things are. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out what do I expect of them in the morning? Okay, that might be too much for them. So what can they do the night before? Okay, so that means that the night before we need to start doing that around six o'clock if we're going to get in bed by eight. Just like all, all those like puzzle pieces that we could put together to make it make sense for them 
to make mm-hmm. it sense for you and for your family so you guys could thrive and function well together. And then let's break it down a little bit more. Set those expectations. Have a team meeting. We have anytime anything changes in our home, we'll have a team meeting. I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing. Let's get real clear about this. Let me repeat it 15 times. Now you repeat it back to me. And it feels like overkill, but they get it in their head. They learn that that's what's expected of them. They know the consequences if they don't do what they're supposed to do or whatever the system is. Mm-hmm. And it's just all very clear. So there's no guessing. Okay. What I'm hearing also is structure. I believe kids want structure. I, I don't think they want to live in chaos. I think they really want the structure. And I know it makes a household much more uh, pleasant and calm to live in if there's some structure around it. So these are great tips and and great ideas that I believe adoptive and, and foster parents can begin to to implement in their families to help navigate some of these challenges that not only FASD can present, but just other things like adoption trauma that we we dealt with. So I want to thank you so much for being on here today. There's so much more we could talk about and there's so much more people could learn from you as we wrap up. How can people find you and, and learn more about you and your systems? Yeah. Um, so I'm at mama systems on Instagram. My website is mamasystems.net. I'm also at, at FASD mama on Instagram. So you find me all those places. And you have a podcast too, right? I do. Yes. Okay. Mama advocate. Okay. I will have links to all of those uh, ways you can contact and connect with Laura in the show notes. But uh, Laura, thank you so much for joining me and, you know, God bless you and your family as you continue to uh, parent these amazing people, as you call them. Uh, I believe these children are a a blessing from the Lord. And Mm -hmm. if we can just help them navigate some of the challenges they have and, and prepare them for adulthood to be amazing adults, that's our goal. So thank you again for joining me. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. I want to thank Laura for being so real, raw, and honest with us about her family and FASD. It's a conversation that's really needed today. I want to encourage you to be your child's best advocate. Educate yourself. As is the case with anyone that I bring on the show to talk to you, I encourage you to do your due diligence. Listen to the information. Check out the resources and use what you can in your adoption journey to parent your child the best way you can. Please check the show notes for the ways you can connect with Laura. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now. If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.